Ah, yeah. Welcome in. Welcome back to another episode of the Format Podcast. Got a pretty good show for you here today. You know what it is. It's the week after. uh, It's the week after the college football weekend. So we're going to have our official Format Podcast college football analyst Ryan Langford on to talk all things of the weekend that just passed. And boy, did we have some uh, some huge games this past weekend. But before we get to that, you know what time it is. If you haven't already and you're here on YouTube, please click that subscribe, that like, and that notification bell so you can be kept up to date whenever new content drops. If you want the audio-only version of the podcast, open up your audio podcast platform, hit the search bar, type in the format podcast, We should come right up. If you enjoy the content, please give us that five-star review. Make sure you share the show with other people you know who want to hear sports talk and maybe want to hear a a little different voice or different thoughts on the sports stories of the day. And um, you know what else to do. Make sure you do all this because why? If you do all this, then what happens? You know what happens. Helps us find more sports fans. Helps more sports fans find us. Now let's get right to it. All right, here we go. Uh, back again with us to uh, talk some college football after a huge week four um, is, of course, the Format Podcast official college football analyst, former Fighting Illini, former Indianapolis Colt, and former multiple team in the CFL wide receiver, Ryan Langford. How you doing, Ryan? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me again. Absolutely, man. Appreciate you taking the time out. So let's get right to it, man. Um Huge week in college football last weekend. Three mm-hmm. really big games, of course. So, hey, I mean, they, he, some people want to say the Cinderella story is over, but it's not over yet, so we're going to get right. right to it. Um, Colorado versus Oregon, uh, biggest game of the weekend. Well, I guess it depends on who you ask, but mm-hmm. one of the two biggest games of the weekend. And um, obviously this one's going to take front and center because uh, the Colorado Buffaloes' undefeated season has now come to an end. And um, the, the questions kind of start now as they move into the more difficult portion of their schedule. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're, we're going to start with uh, Dan Lanning and uh, his comments. So let's go ahead and uh, listen to that in terms of the pregame. Rooted in substance, not flash. Rooted in substance. Today, we talk with our pads. You talk with your helmet, right? Every moment. The Cinderella story is over, man. Right? They're fighting for clicks, we're fighting for wins. There's a difference. Right? There's a difference. Right? This game ain't gonna be played in Hollywood, it's gonna be played on the grass. Right? It's gonna be played on the grass. Let's go. Okay, so so this was uh interesting, Ryan, on a on a couple of fronts. Um number one, uh Dan Lanning is not a guy that usually has the media in um to listen in on his uh, pregame speeches. Um, mm-hmm. But this time when when the media asked him, because apparently that's normally how it goes, the media will ask mm-hmm. you, hey, you know, can we come in? Can we record your pregame speech or or whatever mm-hmm. it may be? He said, yeah, come on in. So, you know, he was uh, locked and loaded and ready for this. And, and um, what did you think uh, of what he had to say? I guess specifically, um, you know, the commentary about Hollywood and, and playing for clicks and all that. Where were you with that? Yeah, well, yeah, I think he's got to do something to fire his guys up. Right. Um, but you would be crazy to think that he ain't remember that he's being recorded and they mm-hmm. just asked him, Hey, do you mind if we, yeah. you know, he's, he's playing into it a little bit, just like Absolutely. they were doing it, you know, at Colorado state, you know, they were kind of playing into, into the hype. Mm-hmm. Um, but from a player standpoint, you know, I think it was really just to motivate, get the guys fired up. Um, just give them something to just kind of get riled up before they took the field. 
Yeah, I, so I agree with you on that. A lot of people are looking at it like, you know, Dan Lanning was taking personal shots at Dion, And, you know, mm -hmm. I personally don't think so. I'm looking at this thing a couple of ways. I'm looking at it first, like, you know, Oregon has been a team that's been on the rise maybe for the last 10, 12 years, really building mm -hmm. into, um, you know, they've played for a national championship. They've been to a couple of playoffs. You know, mm -hmm. they've been one of the better teams in the Pac-12. And um, they've really, since Chip Kelly pretty much, really been developing that program and, yeah. and bringing it to where you see it is now. So um, I, I think Dan Lanning was kind of frustrated about the fact saying, hey, we're a really good football team. We're not mm -hmm. getting any attention here. Me and my guys work just as hard as anybody. And, mm -hmm. and it's all about Dion. And so, like you said, number one, I think he's trying to rile his guys up to get them out there, ready to run through a wall. And, and mm -hmm. secondly, he, you know, he made the concerted effort to make commentary that would bring some attention to his team. Mm -hmm. So a, mm -hmm. a lot of people are, you know, really taking this to heart. Uh, he's taking shots at Dion, And I really don't think that was the case. And then I, I actually saw something, I think, on Instagram yesterday that kind of uh, isn't being reported. And that's the other side of this thing. And that was um, uh, the Colorado players talking a lot of smack to the Ducks out there on the field during warmups and before the game, you know, mm. talking about, you know, uh, call 911. I'd like to report a murder of some Ducks or, you know, oh, we, wow. yeah, <laughs> you know, guys talking, literally saying, and this is recorded, you know, we finna run through y'all. And then you saw during the walkthrough um, guys uh, walking on the O and grinding their mm -hmm. feet in it. And so, you know, I think it's kind of interesting that we're only seeing one side of this thing and, and not the other. I guess mm -hmm. the other side is not the sexy side, right? <laughs> but, yeah, um, yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. And then, mm -hmm. you know, the whole walkthrough thing, because we did that coming out too, right? So in Illinois, you usually get there, um, you know, we get wherever we were playing the day before, we kind of go walk walk the field, check it out, you know, kind of visualize some things, about 10, 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, but what's so different is that there was not – cameras around social media was different you know people weren't you know trying to disrespect people's logos and doing stuff like that because there was no cameras around to see you disrespect said logo right mm -hmm. when the game played that's when it was time to show up so right. um i think it's just a lot more clickbait in this social media world that right. we're in now um but some of the stuff guys have been you know guys have been walking on on the field for, for years you know there's right. some stadiums where you have to literally walk down the entire field to get to your locker room mm. you're gonna walk off your logo like that's right. normal like it's, right. it's not it's not a, a crazy thing but um if you are going to record yourself doing those things mm -hmm. as soon as a whistle blows you better come prepared to make some plays because you can't be disrespecting the logo and then having an outcome like that yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I just thought that was uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. And, yeah, yeah. you know, so you, you look at that and you say, wow, you know, you, you only see one side and, you mm -hmm. know, but 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 again, I think it made for some some serious fodder. And um, realistically, we know and you and I talked about this last week that Dan Lanning is really continuing uh, to build Oregon as his predecessors have done, but he mm -hmm. wants to build them in that SEC model, that tough physical in the trenches, pound the football, you know, run the ball, stop the run. And if, you, if you've been with me on my show uh, for an extended period of time, you know that that mm -hmm. is my, my most basic football truism. That's run the ball and stop the run. You're going to win right. a whole lot of games that way. Just ask Wisconsin. Right. Maybe it doesn't take you directly to championships, but you're going to win a lot of games that way, you know? That's right. And That's so I'm, right. um, one of the other things um, that I have heard uh, from other sports shows with guys who played in the NFL or played college, you know, they're all saying like, yeah, th this looked bad coming from Dan Lanning, but, um, and I'm sure you can speak to this as well. There's a lot of coaches that will have you thinking 
that your opponent, you know, uh, killed puppies and stomped on them in cold mm-hmm. blood to get you hype up to go out mm-hmm. on that field, you know? Speak a mm-hmm. little bit to that in, in terms of what coaches will say to hype up their teams to go out there and play at a high level. Yeah, well, there's there's all different type of personalities out there, right? I've had coaches that, you know, speak, you know, reckless things just to kind of get us fired up. And I've also had coaches that we've played against that spoke reckless, that they purposely, you know, pinned those things in the locker room or only showed highlights of the opposing team throughout the entire locker room. Like, they're not even us, you know? So there's a lot of different ways to encourage a team or get guys going. The countdown clock. The countdown clock is a universal, not a universal thing, but it's a pretty big thing in a lot of universities, a lot of colleges where they got the countdown to kickoff. Um, and just things to just kind of get you get you ready and, and get the blood boiling a little bit. So I think that um, it's important as a coach to know how to rally your troops and know which buttons to push to get uh, the results you want. Do you think Dan Lanning was deliberately making an attempt to try to run up the score on Oregon? I believe that, you know, probably around the fourth quarter, early in the fourth quarter, they, they slowed it down. But mm-hmm. do you think that they were trying to run it up on him? I, I don't know. Um, I think when they realized it was starting to get away um, from them, they, they did put their foot on the gas a little bit, but that is football, right? You want to put people down, especially in a situation where you do have, you know, Deion Sanders and primetime and all the hype that's going up. You want to kind of do a little bit more. And I think if you're a competitor and you're not trying to embarrass you know, the other team in between the whistles and, and why why are we playing, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. all about, you know, going against, you know, the other man and competing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was, I don't know if they deliberately try to run up the store because, again, you know, the stats don't lie. You know, they, I don't think you can say, well, del- Colorado deliberately let them put those amount of points on the board. They mm-hmm. deliberately missed those tackles. They deliberately did those things, you know, so – um, it's really how you look at it. But my, my answer is I don't think they deliberately did. I think they just outplayed, outplayed them. Oregon's a great team. Um, and, and they, and they showed that. Got you. So we, we talked about it, obviously Colorado needs to do a lot of work in the trenches. They need to get those yeah. big bodies and high quality, big bodies at that. How fast yeah. do you see them being able to fix these issues in terms of being able to get, uh, some D linemen in there that can get pressure or, uh, being able to, uh, get some offensive linemen that can protect. You, you can't always scheme up pressure because that right. leaves things open. Um, right. How fast do you think they can fix this? I think it's going to be a year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm leaning closer to the two year because a bunch of transfers are going to come in mm-hmm. um, and some guys are going to leave Colorado as well. That's, that's just going to be part of it. Now, when next year happens, those new guys still got to learn how to play together. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes that takes a season or two to kind of get going. So that's what I'm thinking. Maybe at that two year mark, if they're not able to, to mesh together in that first year. You know, hopefully they they bring in some big guys on the trenches, D line, especially O line, because mm-hmm. um, you know they they need they need some help in those areas. Yeah. So Shadur Sanders uh, going into the Oregon game had been hit uh, fifty five times on the season. That was going into the Oregon game, and I think, yeah, and um, I think after the Oregon game, he's been sacked twenty five times on the year already. How long mm-hmm. can he hold up with all the punishment he's taken? At least on the NFL level, I'll say we've seen um, talented guys literally get it beaten out of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, We Mm -hmm. know Shadur Sanders is, we know he's got the mentality, we know he's got the skill, but how long can his body physically hold up to the punishment he's taking? That is, you know, player by player. Um, 
I like to think it can it can take it's going to be able to last a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also hope that they make the corrections that they need to make, uh, so we don't have to have those conversations about how many hits can he take. Well, hopefully, towards the end of the season, he's taking less hits because the old line is getting better. They're playing together more and things like that. Or he's doing a better job of getting rid of the ball faster or throwing it away or, you know, little things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying he doesn't do those things, but you know, as the season goes, you make adjustments and you try to tweak and you try to get better. And hopefully, you know, they start at those positions first, you know, O-line giving him protection and um, maybe going more quick game to get the ball out of his hands faster and, and things like that. Yep. Um so here's the other part for me. As I mentioned earlier, I'm a big proponent of the running game. And I know you are too, um, being a Big Ten guy, even though you're a receiver. But um, is there any way at this point, because we're still only, what, less than halfway through the season, is there mm-hmm. any way Colorado can scheme up some sort of run game in the absence of a of a strong offensive line? Obviously, the best way to run it is to have a dominant O-line, a Notre Dame, uh, an Ohio State, a Wisconsin, an Alabama. Mm-hmm. Texas, those type of teams, right? But mm-hmm. in lieu of having that, can you scheme that up some way with maybe clever play design or something along those lines? Yeah, and I think they're already trying to do that. Um, but the way they're great at getting their playmakers a ball in space, right? That is their kind of their not their bread and butter, but that's how they're making their they're making their money. Um, and doing a lot of misdirection stuff just to keep the defense off balance, slow down the rush, maybe throwing some screens. Those things open up the run mm-hmm. um, or can open up the run when, you, when you're capitalizing on the other front. So um, I think that they have the ability to compete with with everyone, but they're going to have to improve in the run game uh, mm-hmm. because the run game is crucial, whether it's towards the end of the game and you need to run something down or – you know, where our receivers aren't getting open. It's raining out there or it's snowing and we can't throw the ball. you got to be able to run the ball um, to, to be successful and to win games. How good is Oregon? They looked really good Great. against an overmatched Colorado team. How good are mm-hmm. they really? Very good. Uh, they're fast. Um, they got playmakers that can make moves in space, making guys miss, making the first man miss. And I think that that's something that people forget um, because most of the time there's a guy there reacting, ready to make the play. But if you can make that first guy miss, mm-hmm. uh, if that second guy isn't reacting as quickly, mm-hmm. you got a big play on your hands. Um, and Oregon did a good job of making t- breaking tackles um, and just keeping them off balance. And it's and it's hard. It's hard when you got speed in multiple positions because you got to be able to match that. And Oregon historically has always had fast players, always had game breakers. Um, always had people who can make stuff happen when they get the ball. Well, I guess we're going to find out throughout the rest of the season just how good Oregon is because they still have to play, I believe, USC. They still got Washington, Washington State, Utah. So (laughs) they've got some tough ones lined up. And we're going to see if Dan Lanning is still doing all that talking at the end of the Mm -hmm. uh, schedule, right? (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) All right. So let's uh, let's, uh, fly over to the ACC here. Um, Let's go to the other side of the country. Uh, Clemson versus Florida State. That was actually the first uh, big game of the day. I think that was the mm-hmm. noon game. So Florida mm-hmm. State escapes Clemson with an overtime win. Um, so this is interesting because I'm looking at Florida State and obviously everybody is so high on them based off the opening weekend game where they pretty much mm-hmm. smacked around LSU, who a lot mm-hmm. of people were also high on. But mm-hmm. I'm looking at Florida State and I'm wondering, are they not the Texas of the East? in that they tend mm-hmm. to play to the level of their competition. They're ultra-talented. 
And when it comes down to it, they probably can line up with anyone in the country, but they don't always show it that way. Do you see mm. any of that? That's a good point. I, I hadn't thought about that, but that's a that's a good point because they that game should not have been as tight. I personally was 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 happy because I, I've always kind of been a Clemson fan. I like Dabo. I like orange. Orange is one of my favorite colors. But <laughs> Florida State being Florida State, based on how they played, how they matched up, they should have um handled them a little bit better. Shouldn't have came mm -hmm. down to the wire like that, in my okay. opinion. Got you. So um you mentioned you're a fan of Dabo. Um, I am not a fan of some of the stances that he has. We we briefly discussed mm -hmm. this last week. He's mm -hmm. he's anti nil. He's anti transfer portal. He's kind of mm -hmm. old school mm -hmm. and and stuck in that. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with being old school. But right. to where you're old school to the point that it's going to be to your own detriment, I think is problematic. Yeah. Is this a down year for Clemson, or it's just that? Um, because they've already lost two conference games. Can't tell you the last time we saw that happen. Mm -hmm. um, this is a situation, of course, they've got a new offensive coordinator, uh, Garrett mm -hmm. Riley, who was the OC down in TCU last year. And, of course, played a major role in them getting to the championship game, being national runner-up. But um, is this a down year for Clemson, or are we just starting to see that nobody can stay on top forever except for maybe uh, St. Nick, right? Out in, out in mm -hmm, Dustin, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that, you know, the things go in cycles and maybe it's time for them to cycle back down. What are your thoughts on Clemson as a program? Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I think it's a little bit of both uh, because, you know, things do come and go. Again, this transfer portal has, has changed college football mm -hmm. um, because it, it's more, it gives it more of a, you know, a, a professional league almost kind of thing where guys can be there one year be gone the next year so this might be the year or the upcoming years that they're kind of you know going down and might need to make some adjustments but um I never like to speak down about people you know I like right. to kind of you know right. think that they can turn it around and um if anyone can do it I think it is dabble but uh it's it's gonna take some work it's gonna take some work and you know, the leash is, is probably getting short down there. They're probably starting to look like, okay, like, is is this it? And, you know, he feels that. Yeah, as a coach, you feel that. Players feel that. So it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be a challenge. It's gonna be a challenge. How likely do how likely do you think they are to be able to uh come back up to the level that we've expected from them? Or have you know, has their time kind of come and gone if you had to make a, an estimation on that? Well, I think they're gonna need they're gonna need a few players to come in and mm -hmm. make some, you know, make some plays, you know, having, you know, a big name something come in to kind of rally troops. I mean, it's easy to say big name quarterback, but you could right. have, you know, a, a set of receivers who come in and make the quarterback incredible or a fire running back who just, you know, tears mm -hmm. it up all the time. And they got a pretty good run game out there now, but yeah. um, some, some, something's got to give somewhere. Something's got to give somewhere. So I think what I've noticed is they don't seem to have the same, uh, elite receiving talent on the outside that they've had right. in past years. And the other big thing for me is that um, when Brent Venables was there, and obviously he's now head coach at Oklahoma, mm -hmm. they were dominating on the defensive line. They were sending D right. linemen after D linemen to the NFL, and you're not seeing That's that right. to the same level anymore. And, you know, a lot of people, when they look at Clemson, they think, okay, first Taj Boyd and then Deshaun Watson and then Trevor yeah. Lawrence, you know, yeah. just a, yeah. just a parade of, you know, outstanding quarterback play. But to me, the difference was that that defensive line was dominant. They were stopping the run and they were getting after opposing quarterbacks. And you don't yes. see that at the same level anymore. And I think right. uh, 
Brent Venables being gone has a lot to do with it. I agree. I agree. That's that's a good point. All right. So <coughs> let's uh let's get to the one here. Let's get to uh the one. I'm I'm gonna try not to cry here talking about oh, this game, man. but um I Notre know. Dame versus Ohio State. So obviously they lose a literal last second heartbreaker. You don't see mm-hmm. those in, in football too often. And the odd thing mm-hmm. was this this had a an odd resemblance to the Bush push game, Notre Dame versus USC back in 05. It did. Right. It did. Yeah. And the funny thing is the touchdown that Matt Leinert scored at the end of that game was in the same end zone as Trainum scored as Ohio State the other night. Wow. Right. Right. Wow. So, you know, the, yeah, really, really odd um, uh, uh, resemblance there, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And so uh, I guess first we can get to it and say, um, and I'm going to ask you, because I've I've torn this game up and down from all angles in my head. So mm-hmm. we want to get your mm-hmm. thoughts. How different did Notre Dame look out there on that field to you in terms of how they were able to play and compete against a team that obviously is loaded with elite athletes? Mm-hmm. I think they played well. Um, I think they were able to kind of hold their own more so than I gave them credit for. Uh, I felt like Ohio State was going to come in and just kind of handle business just on some we've been here before type of thing, even though they really hadn't kind of been there, if that makes sense. But uh, I think they, you know, Notre Dame, they, they held their own. Uh, the tough thing about football, and, and a lot of coaches say this, is you don't know what play is going to be the play. And there's usually about six key plays in a game that are going to determine yep. a game, a win or a loss. And you want to make sure you're on the right side of those six plays. Mm-hmm. And in this game, it's unfortunate that one of those six happened to actually be the last play of the game. And the last play of the game, when you're you got a man down, you know, I think they had 10 guys out there. Like that's the one moment, the one lapse that could cause the loss. And mm-hmm. you don't want to say that that one play did it, but on right. paper, well, that was the play, you know, yes. that was the play that, that cost the game. So, yeah. um, and that stuff happened, that stuff happens and that stuff hurts because yeah. that really separates the, the championship teams from, you know, the good teams, because mm-hmm. you, you got to be on, on, on working on all your fronts. you got to know your substitutions you got to know, you know, play downs. You've got to know what's going on in the game. You can't afford to, to have that situation. The coach, I appreciate he took his ownership for it. You know, he said it was kind of on me, but um, that last moment of that's, that's, that's a hard way to go out. That's a hard way to lose it when, mm-hmm. when you guys default all, all game long. Yeah. So um, when I was asking you uh, how different did Notre Dame look? Uh, so one of the things that, that really kind of stood out to me, Obviously, I've been watching Notre Dame religiously since '93. I may right. have missed—I may have missed ten televised games <laughs> yeah, yeah. of Notre Dame football since 1993. I was in Iraq in the desert watching it on Armed Forces Network. Wow. Like, yeah, Damn. true <laughs> fan, right? Yeah, there. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, but but where where I want to go with that is in watching them all these years. Normally, when Notre Dame plays against uh, the elite teams. You see mm-hmm. a glaring difference in speed and athleticism. Um, yes. 2012, even though they were number two in the country, get to the championship game, they literally get blown off the field against Alabama. Um, yep. uh, twice in the playoffs, 
they got destroyed by Clemson. They got destroyed Clemson, by Bama. Yeah, um, yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, so we've, we've been seeing, I'm not going to run down the list, but over the years, Notre Dame being outclassed in terms of speed and athleticism, this was the first game I've seen in a long time where their athletes were able to stand up on nearly even, mm -hmm. even footing with mm -hmm. a team that's known for elite athleticism. How impressed were mm -hmm. you? with what uh, Marcus Freeman is beginning to build there in terms of depth and athleticism and speed on that roster. Yeah, very impressed because you just saying that now made me think back to all those games mm -hmm. on, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's what would happen, you know, mm -hmm. Alabama running circles around those guys, oh, yeah. Clemson yeah. circles, and yeah. it's just like, yeah, you know, Notre Dame is, is a great team. Mm -hmm. You put the film on, they play great, but when mm -hmm. they go against, yeah. you know, these higher caliber teams per se, right. like right. you said, they, they, they get, it's track meet out there. Um, but I think that they 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 answered the call well. They mm -hmm. they stepped up well, and it's just unfortunate that it didn't and then end with a win. Right. So let's uh let's take it from Notre Dame and let's look at the Ohio State side. So um Kyle McCord is we we keep calling him a young QB, but I think he's in his third year. He just, mm -hmm. you know, hasn't been the starter to this point. And this is the thing, right? He didn't have the best game for most of the game. Notre Dame did a really good job scheming up defensively and, you know, uh, executing. But um, he came through in the clutch, making big throw mm -hmm. after big throw when mm -hmm. his team needed it. So all respect due to Kyle McCord and those Ohio State receivers, of course, <laughs> right, for that. Right. And right. so um, I'm looking at it and I'm saying, uh, first of all, to be the quarterback, the starting quarterback at Ohio State, you can't be a bum, right? You got to have the tools, right. you know, whether That's it's right. right, whether it's the intellectual tools or whether it's the physical and, um, you know, big, strong kid. Uh, so mm -hmm. what, what did you think of of his play watching him in, in this game? He played well. I mean, I think he went through his reads. Um, you know, his, his receivers were, were making plays, were bailing him out when he needed to be bailed out. Yeah. Um, and I think he he did what you ask of, of your quarterback. Um, I think he controlled – you know, the huddle well, he, he he did what he needed to do, getting guys in, in position. And, and they knew, you know, they were they were prepared. They knew who they were going against. Um, and 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 I think he 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 led the team well. All right. So let's do a little bit of receiver talk. Let's get right into your your wheelhouse here. So um, for the second straight year, oddly enough, Notre Dame contained Marvin Harrison Jr. last year. Five mm -hmm. catches, 56 yards. Uh, this year, less than that. I didn't have the exact numbers. I want to say three or four catches. And obviously, mm -hmm. this game, he was a bit hobbled with the ankle. He went into the mm -hmm. tent, taped it up, came back out. But, you know, still always a threat because he's, yep. you know, great hands, great route running, and, and great uh, athleticism. Now, he was contained, but Emeka Ibuka came up big with 96 yards. I want to say seven or eight catches. Mm -hmm. And a lot of big catches, especially on that uh, final drive. So mm -hmm. my question is this, is Egbuka, do you see him as being a number one, a legit number one on another team? Or is he more benefiting from the attention that Marvin Harrison Jr. is getting from opposing defenses and defensive coordinators? Because, you know, you're always going to bracket MJH. You're just going to do mm -hmm. that, right? Mm -hmm. he, you you got to get safety help unless mm -hmm. you have a, a truly elite corner. There were some times Benjamin Morrison was one-on-one -on -one out there with him, but for the most part, you're going to get safety help over the top dealing with that guy. How good mm -hmm. do you think Emeka Ibuka is, and do you see him as being a, a number one guy, or is he just, you know, taking advantage because of the defensive attention his partner gets? Mm -hmm. Yes, is the answer. It's a, a little <laughs> bit of everything, because uh, I think what's important is embracing your role. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody wants to be the number one. Yeah. He 
in his mind knows he could be the number one. If you're a playing receiver and you don't think you could be the number one, you're playing the wrong sport. You gotta mm-hmm. you gotta always think that you can be that guy. Sure. Now, when the game plan comes out, you gotta understand your role within what the team is doing. Mm-hmm. And I think knowing that their number one kind of went down, wasn't producing, somebody had to step up. Right. And to see him step up and make the plays and almost go for 100 yards and make some very key plays when it's important, mm-hmm. that definitely gave him uh, a, a little leverage to say that, hey, I, I can do this. Y'all, you know, pay some attention to me, too. Right. It's not just all about him. And I think that yeah. helped his his draft stock, if you will, that, you know, he was able to kind of step up and make some plays when, when he needed to. Fair enough. So here, here's the big question. This one was interesting to me. I still mm-hmm. haven't been able to figure out what I think. Uh, did Ohio State win this game or did Notre Dame lose it? Ohio State played better. And I think it comes down to those six plays, right? Mm-hmm. And wherever those six plays are, you can always pinpoint and say, you know, you know, this and that, and they should have this, they should have that. But when the important play needed to be made, Ohio State made them, right? And I think that's ultimately what put them over the top. I mean, it was devastating for me to see them, um, you know, not have enough guys on that last play because mm-hmm. I think that they really – it was a hard-fought game, right? It was not as high-scoring as it, it, it could have been, I feel like, and mm-hmm. – um, I, I think Ohio State played better as a whole. Wow. Okay. So I got to totally disagree with you there. And I, not because I'm a fan, but just watching mm-hmm. the majority of the game and then, you know, reading a lot of follow-up stuff, listening to a lot of follow-up stuff. And I think most people are of the opinion, not saying that you have to follow the masses, but most people are of the right. opinion that, you know, for uh, freaking uh, 58 minutes or 57 and a half minutes mm-hmm. of that game, Notre Dame outplayed mm-hmm. Ohio State. And I I think Notre Dame lost it. And even mm-hmm. if you look, even with that, those 10 guys on the field for that last play, instead of the 11, he barely right. got the ball over. It leads me yeah. to believe that if those 11 guys are there, they stop him. Now we'll never know. I obviously, think they do but, stop him. Yeah. yeah. But um, I, I do think that Notre Dame outplayed him. Um, they schemed him up. And then you saw uh, during the second half of that game, you know, Notre Dame started really playing like O-line you. And, mm. you know, they were they were running That's the football they and they were protecting they Sam Hartman well. So but, um, That's right. you know, it, I, it's time to move on from that. That that game is <laughs> over. Uh, so, you, you know, you can't sit there and harp on it. You can learn from it, can't. but you can't harp yeah. on it. Um, all right. So let, let's move on to next week. Um, so the, despite the fact that uh, Oregon put 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 uh, the beats on Colorado and beat them like a drum, mm-hmm. there's another huge one. And uh, to the point that. Um, uh, the college uh, pregame show for Fox Sports 1. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It slips me for the moment. But regardless, Fox Sports 1 college, big noon kickoff is going to be back. And they're going to be back in Boulder again this week because Boulder, uh, Colorado, is hosting USC. And that is a game that I will be on the couch for because Mm -hmm. Shadur Sanders and Caleb Williams, man, oh, Mm -hmm. man, two of the best Mm -hmm. quarterbacks in the country, you know, they're going to shoot it out. OK, Corral style, mm-hmm. right? Wild, wild west. Um, so uh, give me give me your your opening thoughts on this one. I, I personally want Colorado to win. I love, mm-hmm. you know, the, I'm a huge Dion fan. 
However, this is going to be a tough, 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 tough challenge. And I yeah. think ultimately what it's going to come down to is um, Colorado is going to have to run the ball. They're going to have to have a good running game. And they, I just don't think that they've been able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that helps the pass. That, help, that helps your offense yeah. when you're able to run the ball, knowing, hey, okay, mm-hmm. we don't really know what to call, but let's just give it to our back because we know he's going to get six yards. Mm-hmm. We know he's going to get five yards. They don't right. know that. They're taking losses. They're, you know, they're not getting anywhere. So now you're mm-hmm. playing behind the sticks. Yes. That cuts your play calls down that you can mm-hmm. have. So they've got to be able to, to run the ball um, effectively. Not They don't even need a crazy running game. I just think right. that they need to be able to just – move the ball positively consistently Mm -hmm. um, and they'll be able to compete now usc's got playmakers all over the field they got a quarterback who's a playmaker a quarterback who can get the ball out to his other playmakers um but it's usc is probably going to win um but i I really want i really want colorado to to, to pull it out but it's yeah it's a tall order gonna be it's a tall, tall, tall order. Back to back too, because they yeah. they're 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 licking their wounds. Because some guys are, are sore after last mm-hmm. week. They got mm-hmm. beat. <laughs> they got beat out there. Physical team in Oregon beat them beat them pretty well. Um, so they're gonna have to you know make some adjustments and and do what they can this week. So I think that's um I I do agree with you that USC is likely gonna win this game, but I think that Colorado may have a chance because USC is clearly not as physical as Oregon is. I mean that's just. Mm-hmm. That's just not a hallmark of Lincoln Riley teams. They're not generally extremely physical. They don't right. generally have great defenses. I'm not saying their defense is bad, but it's not great. So maybe you get a chance if you get into a shootout with these guys. But I do agree with you. Maybe if you can find a way to run it, you can cut a few of USC's possessions down because mm-hmm. right now it doesn't look like there's too much chance of uh, stopping that offense, which is prolific. You know, between mm-hmm. USC and Washington, oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about Washington yeah. another week, but those yeah. offenses out there in the Pac-12 are insane. Um, so if you were the coaching staff of Colorado, where do you think you would, um, I don't know how much you've watched USC, but uh, what do you mm-hmm. think your plan of attack would be? And is there anything that you would want to change from what Colorado's been doing this season? Or maybe not change, but tweak. Tweak, yeah. Well, from an offensive perspective, we got to get the ball. We got to get the run game going because mm-hmm. um, the run game is going to open up the quick game, the reads, the play action. That's going to open up open up our playbook. If we mm-hmm. can't, if they're not being threatened by the run, they're not going to respect it, right? So that's mm-hmm. that's step one. From a defensive standpoint, I think we got to put pressure on the quarterback. We mm-hmm. got to put pressure on Caleb because he's got to. We've got to speed up his process um, because they have defense. They have a secondary where when the ball's in the air. They can make some plays. You mm-hmm. know, those guys yeah. are playing well on the ball. Right. Um, they're, they're smart. I mean, they got Deion Sanders. Like, right. You know they're well coached. Play the, you know yeah. what I mean? So they're yeah. well coached in the secondary. Um, so speeding the speeding the speeding uh the pass rush up to kind of rush the quarterback a bit, I think is a great uh, a great goal to have. Okay. All right. So let's uh move on from that and uh we'll get we'll uh, touch on a couple other things before I get you out of here. Mm-hmm. Um ESPN game day is gonna be at Duke for the first time ever for a football wow. game. And wow. guess who it is? That's Notre Dame versus Duke, another night game featuring the Irish. Um mm-hmm. Duke is four and zero start the season. They have a win over Clemson. This is a good top twenty five team. Uh Damn. Riley Leonard, their quarterback, is regarded as one of the best in the country. 
And here's the scary part. This is a team that can run the football. Now, I didn't mm -hmm. look at their schedule to see who they've played yet other than Clemson, but they're averaging 200 rushing yards a game. So mm -hmm. they are definitely going to test that that Notre Dame front seven that, you know, mm -hmm. pretty much went to war with Ohio State last week. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I guess my big question for you, if you're Notre Dame, and I don't, I don't know if you've ever been on the other side of a, a whooping like that, how do mm -hmm. you get back up the following week after a loss like that and and kind of move past it to be able to focus on your next opponent and come out and have a good game. You 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 dominate next week. Um, you got this such a bad taste in your mouth. You're embarrassed. I mean, mm -hmm. it's tough going to class all week because mm -hmm. everyone knows what happened. They're looking at you sideways. Right. Um. So you have this feeling of we we got a lot to prove this week. Um, but with that, you don't want to get outside of yourself. And that's mm -hmm. when you really see teams crumble. You get away from the fundamentals. You get away from playing smart. You get away from mm -hmm. doing the things that you've been coached to do. Um, so what they need to do is hopefully they've already let that game go, recentered, re refocused, reshifted, done whatever they need to do. And they'll be able to come in and, and, and hopefully get a win because that's really the only way that you that you get back on track. Wins. Wins are the way to do it. And, you know, as a coach, you just got to push your players Mm -hmm. to win their individual battles um don't try to make it bigger than what it is you know just handle your what 111th of every play if you mm -hmm. win your 111th we, we, we should we should be fine and you know you'll get that bad taste out of their mouth you players make it sound so simple <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it is a simple game but it's mm -hmm. it, there's a lot of you know there's a lot of other components that that come into it but yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the fundamentals of it are the same, you know, but mm -hmm. other playmakers make, make plays and other, and other teams have, have certain tools and that's mm -hmm. where the coaches come into play game planning, understanding what the other team's going to do when they're going to do it. And, mm -hmm. you know, players executing, that's all it comes down to. Fair enough. Fair enough. So before I let you go, this is the last one. Um, we mm -hmm. mentioned the Washington Huskies early, definitely wanted to get to them. Just how good is Michael Penix Jr. His numbers are out of this world. He's a legit Heisman contender, projected first round draft pick. Uh, is it the weapons though? He's got mm -hmm. uh, three wide receivers over 15 yards per catch. Um, mm -hmm. Roman Dunze and Jalen Polk, both over 20 yards per catch. Jalen McMillan, their third guy, over 15 yards per catch. The defense is only giving up 17 points per game. Now they still got the tougher part of their schedule waiting, but how good is this team? What do you think of them? I think I think they're a strong team. Um, I think their receivers are really, really powerful. Um, oh, yeah. I think them as a, I think them as a core is is strong. They're making the circus catches, as we would say in the receiver mm -hmm. room, mm -hmm. um, and they're bailing out their quarterback. Uh, I saw somewhere someone was saying that he he almost looks like Warren Moon back there, the way that he's that he's throwing the ball. Um, but this I, I like them. I like I like when receivers are making those those big plays because what people forget is those big plays add a lot of energy to the offense, mm. which adds a lot of energy to the defense and the special right. teams. Like that that gets people going and it hurts the defense because they're mm -hmm. like, dang, like we, we had great coverage on them, but yeah, these boys making plays on us. Like yeah. that's that that's those are backbreakings. So, okay, you as a receiver, I, I want to hear mm -hmm. what your take is on this. Obviously, it's a symbiotic relationship, but which, which is it? Or is it 50-50? Maybe it is, and I'm just mm -hmm. looking to stir the pot a little bit. Mm -hmm. How much is it the quarterback versus the weapons? I mean, we just talked so, about how elite his weapons are, but he's also playing like he, like his hair's on fire. Yeah. Which, which is it? 
He's he's playing really well. Um, now I, I'm going to start watching him a little bit more closely. Um, mm-hmm. Recently, I've just kind of been going back, watching the highlights and watching the plays, and he's throwing good balls, but they mm-hmm. could be better if that makes okay. sense. Like okay. his his receivers are making some tough catches. Now at that same time, he is throwing some passes that are right on the money. Guys are catching it and running running free. Um, but his receivers are, are bailing him out mm. of the, you know, if I put on a highlight tape and of the, you know, 20 plays that are highlights, you know, you know, 15, 12 to 15 of them, his receivers are kind of bailing him out. So um, I'm interested to see how that goes. And if that's just how, if that's just how he plays, because he could be that guy that just throws those kind of jump balls, knowing that his receivers are going to get it and he doesn't need to have perfect precision every single time. Okay, fair enough. Well, we know they still got Oregon, USC, Utah, Oregon State, and Wazoo. So uh, that's that's another team we'll find out exactly what they're made of uh, along the rest of the way. Yep. All right, Ryan. Well, listen, man. Uh, hey, thanks so much for joining us. This this was great as always. Um, incredible weekend of fo- college football last weekend. Got some more good matchups this weekend and l- look forward mm-hmm. to it and uh, look forward to getting back with you next week to uh, talk it out again. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, brother. Thanks.